Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning and hello. Welcome to the Bill Press Show, May 2nd. Was it Wednesday? Yep. Oh, my God. Wednesday. We're flying through the week. This is the thing with with uh, the news these days, as they say. Like, everything just moves too fast. Like, so fast. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill Press today. Bill is out today. Uh, he's got some business on the West Coast. I think this is the last leg of his book tour uh, so you've got me today. We've got a lot of great hosts coming in uh, this week. But you've got me for today, and you know what that means. We're going to have another candy pull. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're actually... We're going to talk about brulee peeps. God damn it. You know, I actually had some content here that was all about snack food and i just realized <laughs> that it's extremely on brand on brand like i didn't this even th- typical. I didn't even think about it uh my name is peter ogburn i'm sitting in for bill press today uh we've got a great great show coming up later on we're going to be talking to amanda becker writer for thompson reuters she covers congress and the trump administration plus at uh in the second hour we have our buddy van newkirk in studio from the atlantic and from axios Making your first visit to the show, Elena Treen will be here, associate news editor and reporter. So, I, I, as as promised, I, I do actually want to talk about snack food. Shock. We're, there's news of the day, and I swear we're going to get to it. But there's this whole thing now because 7-Eleven is trying to, like, double down on healthy food, right? And shock of shocks, nobody wants to buy it. <laughs> like nobody wants to go into 7-Eleven and get something healthy. What are they going to do? Like stock boiled eggs on the okay. counter? Uh, you're actually not wrong. They do sell the eggs. Uh, they have freshly made, I should put air quotes, freshly made uh, chicken wraps and cold pressed juices. It's a no for me, dog. Mm. It's a hard no for me. 
I, so, and by the way, there's a uh, a CVS right across the street from here. You know what they sell? They sell sushi in there. Mystery do you know how fish? hungry? No, 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 no. Do you no, know no. how hungry I would have to be to eat CVS sushi? What's your go-to road snack? I just did a road trip. I just did a road. What's your favorite road snack? I always pack fruit. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, but I always have like cut up fruit. I mean, good for you. But I also get That's the responsible thing. Well, I get motion sickness, so I can't eat anything that's too much. The correct answer is Chex Mix. Or I only like a quarter of Chex Mix though, so it's always a waste to buy it. You can't tell me you like those like dark round. The rye crisps, you're damn right I do. No, those are the worst. Those things are crunchy all the time, and they're satisfying, and I love them. The only uh, acceptable, other acceptable answer, of course, is Gardetto's. Gardetto's snack mix is Um, first ballot Hall of Fame road trip snack food. (laughs) We have people already weighing in in the chat room. What? Yep. Someone someone said Seven Eleven is trying to become the Wawa, which. Is Peter's favorite store of all time. I had all these people tell me, you got to go to Wawa. You got to go to Wawa. Wawa is so great. Wawa is the greatest thing ever. And I went to a Wawa one time. You know what? It's a gas station. (laughs) (laughs) It is a gas station. Like, really? Are we getting this excited about a gas station? I mean, to be fair, I think that their food selection is better than other gas stations. But it's still a gas station, friends. It reminds me of that National Lampoon's uh, line where he's like, hey, Russ, hand me that sandwich that we got at the gas station. I'm hungry enough to eat a sandwich that we got at the gas station. (laughs) Like, (laughs) don't. They sell tuna sandwiches there, Peter. Hardest of passes. (laughs) Gas stations Which would you rather eat? A tuna fish sandwich or sushi from a gas station? I choose death. (laughs) I choose death. Stay tuned, everybody. Big show coming up. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, it is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Thank you all so much for tuning in. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. I was just looking at the comments uh, in uh, on YouTube. Um, Johnny says, that's right, Wawa is just a gas station. That's right. If you missed the whole conversation we had about gas station snacks, uh, make sure you listen to the podcast. You get the whole show there. Just look for The Bill Press Show on iTunes or anywhere else that you get your podcast. Remember, we are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. I am also on uh, on Twitter, at Peter Ogburn. Um I'm like coming up on a on a like a Twitter milestone. You hear like I'm I'm only like 19 people away from 4,000, but I Ooh. never tweet. But I never tweet. Guys, let's get Peter to 4,000 today. It, I'm not I'm not trying to be like that. I'm not trying to beg, for, but I just I don't tweet that much. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I say it all the time. Twitter's a dumpster fire. So it's the worst. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. We only do it because we're contractually obligated. Well, I got off of Twitter for a while because it's horrible. Uh, but then I had to get back on for work stuff. You know, it's just like, ugh. Anyway, speaking of everything is terrible and, and the news is bad, I 
am, I, and I have been fascinated by the relationship that Donald Trump has with his doctor, Dr. Harold Bourne. Well, I shouldn't say his doctor because now he's got the White House doctor and all that stuff. But Dr. Harold Bornstein, who we remember during the campaign, he's the guy that sort of looks like celebrity he most resembles, I would say, unfrozen caveman lawyer from <laughs> SNL. <laughs> From like when Phil Hartman it's did. It's not bad. It, it's pretty good, right? It's and this was good. a long time ago uh, that, that Phil Hartman did this character, so you might not remember it, but he, he looks like Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. He's got long hair. I mean, he looks like a burnout. Just like an old hippie burnout. But he's a doctor, and he was Trump's doctor. So there are a couple of different aspects to what's going on with Dr. Harold Bornstein. NBC News has a story, and they actually spoke to Harold Bornstein. I want to read directly from NBCNews.com. Anna Schechter wrote this story. In February, quote, in February 2017, a top White House aide who was Trump's longtime personal bodyguard, this is Keith Schiller, who we've talked about before on this show and talked about some of his shadiness. In February 2017, a top White House aide who was Trump's longtime personal bodyguard, along with a top lawyer at the Trump Organization and a third man, showed up at the office of Trump's New York doctor without notice and took all of the president's medical records. The incident, which Dr. Harold Bornstein described as a, quote, raid, took place two days at office on... Took, took place two days after Bornstein told a newspaper he had prescribed a hair growth medicine for years. So just I just want to get this. Let's make this very clear. Uh, Harold Bornstein did come out and say Donald Trump is great. Donald Trump is healthy. Donald Trump. Donald Trump is going to live forever. The only real thing that the only medicine he takes is Propecia because I I gave him uh, Propecia for his thinning hair. And just two days later, Donald Trump sends his goons to storm into his office and take all of his medical records. Now, (laughs) that seems to be pretty obvious that Donald Trump is that petty that he would go and raid his old doctor because he told somebody that that he takes Propecia. Donald Trump is petty, like petty personified. He is petty Pendergrass. Like he is, like he would go do that. Bornstein told NBC News that he felt, quote, well, this might be a little bit of a stretch, quote, raped, frightened, and sad, end quote. When Keith Schiller and another large man came into his office to collect the president's records on the morning of February 3rd, 2017, at the time, Schiller was serving as director of Oval Office Operations. So now you understand, Donald Trump is now president. A phrase that still sort of does not feel right coming out of my mouth. But Donald Trump is president. He's got Keith Schiller, who has has a history of being an intimidating figure in in Trump world, right? He's sort of like the muscle. If Michael Cohen is the fixer, Keith Schiller has always been the muscle. So the muscle went to the doctor's office and raided his office. I guess Donald Trump felt like he could do this because he's now the president of the United States. He felt emboldened to do this, and he was like, what's going to happen? Try and stop me. What's going to happen? Who's going to stop me? Who's going to stop me? Harold Bornstein says, they must have been here for 20 or 30 minutes. It created a lot of chaos. He says the incident was 
frightening. Now, this is honestly, this is the saddest part of it all. I think the whole story is crazy. We're gonna we're gonna get into a little bit more of it, but uh, from the NBC News story, quote. A framed 8 by 10 photo of Bornstein and Trump that had been hanging on the wall in the waiting room now lies flat under a stack of papers on the top shelf of Bornstein's bookshelf. Bornstein says the men asked him to take it off the wall. (laughs) Like, folks. (laughs) Um. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. It's obviously, again, petty. And but it's also just kind of, I mean, I don't want to say it's heartbreaking because screw both of these guys, frankly, but also it's like that's so like it's so Trump. It's so Trump. And there's another aspect of the that's story. That's the word for it. It's Trump. It's Trump. Yeah. There's another aspect of the story. CNN was reporting early this morning. Did you see this headline, Peter? I don't know. I, I'm getting to it, I think. Okay. Oh, I don't want to come. Go ahead. Up. Bornstein now is saying that Trump yes. was the one who dictated yes. the letter. Yes, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll get into that in just a second. I want to get. I'm, I'm building up to that. Uh, but here, here's the thing about the seizing of the records. So these guys came in, took the records from the doctor, mm-hmm. which you cannot do. And I don't want to get into the weeds here, uh, and, and I don't want to like. Because, frankly, I think this is not really picking nits, but I don't think that it's the most important part of the story. But it it should be mentioned that Bornstein was not given a form authorizing the release of the records uh, and signed by the president. Those are known as HIPAA releases, which we all – I mean, if you've gone to the doctor, you've had to sign some form of HIPAA form, right? Like, basically, Mm -hmm. if something happens to you – you give this person, mm-hmm. whoever you designate, uh, authorization to access your medical records, right? Like if for whatever reason you have something horrible happen to you, only you are entitled to them right. unless you sign these HIPAA release forms. Otherwise, it's a violation of patient privacy law. And again, I know that this is probably the least important part of the story, but it matters because this is... New York state law. And that's just how it goes. Nobody who doesn't have HIPAA clearance should be allowed to see a patient's records. That's just the law. Okay? And I know that the he's now the president of the United States, and I know he thinks he's above the law, and I know he thinks that he was wronged because the doctor said that he takes a hair growth medicine, but that doesn't change the fact that you can't just go in and take this stuff without, like, any kind of release. Uh, I'm reading directly here, quote, New York state law requires that a doctor maintains records for at least six years, so a doctor who hands over his original records runs the risk of violating New York state law. So again, this is another breach of what the law clearly says. If you're a doctor, you have to keep these records for a lot of different reasons. But if you have original records, you must keep them for six years. Look, also, when they're doing this raid, I really doubt that they knew exactly where Trump's records were. So how many other people's records did they have to rifle through to find his actual papers? That is an excellent point. That is an excellent point. They would have no idea. They they have no idea. They they, were just rifling through, as you said. That's exactly what they were doing. It's such a breach of, I mean, 
there are laws in place to protect the doctor-patient confidentiality for a lot of different, very good reasons, <laughs> right? Like, this isn't just some pie-in-the-sky bureaucratic mess. Like, there are reasons that that exists. And to what I was just saying, you have to keep these records for a while, and Trump and his team just went in and took the original records. So this Harold Bornstein, who was who was Trump's doctor for a long time, is now without the original records. Those records now exist in the hands of Dr. Ronnie Jackson. <laughs> we remember Ronnie Jackson. We've talked about Ronnie Jackson. but And he's still the White House doctor for now. So he's got the records. The White House has the records. Which, again makes sense right like donald trump isn't using harold bornstein anymore you got to get the the medical records transferred but there's a way to do it and donald trump just went over the law and went and did it completely on his own and that's a little messed up because it's purely for him right like this isn't like some reason that he can point to and say well we didn't have time to do it the, the right way. or we did, He just did it because he wanted to. And he was mad because the doctor said that he takes hair loss uh, stuff. This is also a petty comment, but it's not working. If that's the only medication that he's on, it's not working. Yeah, that's true. But this this is Trump in a nutshell, right? Like, 100%. He thinks that he's above the law in anything that he does. He thinks that he can use his power. And honestly, he does. Yeah. And he yes. gets away with it pretty much always. And again, I, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm outraged that he broke the HIPAA stuff. But, like, there is a reason that it exists. And if he broke this, that just shows his sort of cavalier attitude towards whatever law gets in his way. Right? Like, again, you just call the doctor, ask for the information to be transferred, sign whatever releases you need to sign, make it happen. It, it's a, I mean, it, it's really not that big of a process, but there is mm-hmm. a process that exists to get that done. There's also this ongoing theme of humiliation in the yeah. in the world of Trump. Where, Taking the picture down from yes, the wall. It's like he doesn't want to just get his whatever it is that he wants. That's not enough. He always takes that extra step yeah. of like actually stepping on someone else to get what he wants. Yeah, totally. Now, the other part of this story that I find to be so fascinating, and again, extremely Trump. Back in 2015, we were given a letter. We were shown a letter by Dr. Harold Bornstein. This was in December of 2015 during the election. And we all remember the now infamous line, quote, if elected... Mr. Trump, I can state unequivocally, will be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. (laughs) He says, this is Harold Bornstein in the letter, his physical strength and stamina are extraordinary. Really? The dude takes a golf cart. I'm no doctor. Never will be. (laughs) But... mm, doesn't look like, certainly doesn't look like the healthiest individual ever elected to the president. Doesn't look like he has physical strength and stamina that are extraordinary. <laughs> put him up against, put him in a foot race against Bush Le- Sr. B- Bush Sr. 
Bush Sr. could beat him in a friggin' foot race at this point. Physical strength and stamina are extraordinary. Are you kidding me? Bornstein says Trump's health is, quote, astonishingly excellent. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like somebody else we might? Well, I'll get there. It claimed Trump had lost 15 pounds during the, 2000, during the year of 2015 and says his cardiovascular health is excellent. Well, yesterday in this interview with Dr. Harold Bornstein, he says, quote, he dictated that whole letter. I didn't write that letter. I just made it up as I went along, end quote. So Harold Bornstein is now admitting that he did not write that letter that Donald Trump, Donald effing Trump, wrote that letter to let everybody know what a healthy human specimen he was. Totally normal, healthy brain. Totally normal brain. Totally normal president. Totally normal president. Totally normal events happening every day. Now, <laughs> again, I don't want to paint Dr. Harold Bornstein out to be some sort of a hero or anything like that because this guy is shady lady. But he says, why did you allow this to happen? He says, quote, I was just rushed for time. I had people to see. <laughs> uh, now this brings into question Dr. Ronnie Jackson because Dr. Ronnie Jackson gave just as glowing of a review to Donald Trump's health as Dr. Harold Bornstein and I'm calling BS and god damn it I called BS on day one I said Ronnie Jackson made those stats up he and Donald Trump told him to say those stats, and I think this proves that I was right. <laughs> I, by the way, I'm not the only person to say that, right? But like, for Ronnie Jackson, a medical doctor slash dry drunk slash drug dealer slash Candyman, Candyman, drug dealing, drunk. Of course he went out there and lied about Donald Trump's health. Of course he went out there. He said Donald Trump is six foot three, two hundred and thirty-nine pounds. We we talked about this yesterday. That means he's one pound shy of being clinically obese. Just a fact. Now, I am six foot three, about about two thirty-five now. Six foot three, two thirty-five. I want to be clear. Very muscular. <laughs> you may be the most muscular six I, foot three man. I've got more muscles than anybody else at this height, folks. But I mean, and that, we all know muscle weighs more than fat. Those could be his stats if he has zero bone density and zero muscle tone. Zero muscle mass. Which if he's doesn't got, seem improbable. If he I mean, has zero muscle mass and no brain, take and out no the brain. brain yeah, there's a lot of weight that's lost. And no there heart. No Take brain. out and the no heart. no heart. There's no heart. You're onto something here. Yeah. You're onto something here. I don't, I mean, I, I, I would love to see Donald Trump in an arm wrestling match with Baron Trump. <laughs> like, I honestly, I honestly don't think he's ever lifted anything over 10 pounds. Trump. 
Like, he doesn't carry his own luggage. He certainly doesn't work out. We know. We know he doesn't work out. He said before that the body has a finite amount of energy, and if you, you want to be careful, you want to preserve it, you don't want to use it all up. Again, I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> But, but I don't think that's right. A steady stream of steak and ketchup will just make you a very healthy individual. Here's what, here, here's, here's what I know about health, right? Again, not a doctor. Here's what I know about health. Eat as much fast food as you can. I love McDonald's. Love it. Love it. Burn your steaks so that you're essentially eating a giant piece of carbon doused in sugary, salty ketchup. Never exercise or work out. Don't walk anywhere when you can take a a golf cart. Why walk when you can take a golf cart? And you, too, can be the healthiest person to ever be president. So, (sighs) Donald Trump wrote the letter saying he was in excellent health. And that is now a fact. Dr. Bornstein has said this. That is a fact. When is Ronnie Jackson going to come out and say, Donald Trump told me to come out and lie about how healthy he is? Ronnie Jackson said Donald Trump could live to be 200. (laughs) But, okay, Peter, knowing our luck, Trump will live until he's 200. That's probably, I mean, look, evil people live the longest. It's true. They sold their souls. Exactly. They drank the unicorn blood. Exactly. They've got that dragon energy, as Kanye that says. Dragon energy. That dragon energy. But it's true. Everybody knows it. If you're evil, you'll live to be forever. Mm-hmm. You'll live like for like as long as you want to live. I had two, uh, my grandmothers. I had one that was super sweet, wonderful, sweetest woman who ever lived. She didn't live that long. I had another grandmother, horrible, horrible woman. She lived to be like 95. Did the horrible woman exercise or did she conserve her energy? She conserved her energy. There you go. She was Trumpy in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. So look, again, I don't want to paint Dr. Harold Bornstein out to be some sort of a saint. Cause that's certainly not the case, but like, come on, man, come on, man. You're, you're, you're out there having your doctor, like dictating like letters of medical record to your doctor in your language, right? Like I just read some of the language about how he, how he wrote that letter. And if you really look back at it through the lens of, oh, Donald Trump dictated this to his doctor, it makes total sense. I can state unequivocally, Donald Trump will be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. Who else would put those words on paper? Who else could possibly say something so ludicrous other than Donald Trump? Nobody. His physical strength and stamina are extraordinary. I mean, that's Donald Trump. I think what Donald Trump's most amazing feature is, is his ability to find just yes men in droves. Yeah. They just surround him. and Ambition and power is a hell of a drug. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no, I totally know what you mean, but it's just astounding how many people kowtow to this idiot. It is pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. And yet, here we are, broadcasting live from hell every day. Uh, The other story I wanted to get into, there's a lot of Robert Mueller stuff, and we're going to get into that here shortly, but, um, you know, I'm I'm an Apple guy. 
right? Like I have a, a like I have a MacBook, mm-hmm. I have my iPhone, I have my i my iPad. I had the Air what do they call AirPods? Yeah, I think so. I took them back. I didn't like them. Um, they didn't look like they would be a great product. No, it's not for me. Yeah, it's not for me. Uh, but this is amazing because Apple, I think, has done uh, a lot of selling of the Trump tax plan. Yes. The Republican tax plan. They've come out and talked about how great it is and how they're going to do this and that and invest because uh, the Trump tax plan clears the way for them to do all these great things. Okay. So here is uh, a story about Apple. I'm going to read directly. This is from Reuters.com. Apple lavished cash on its shareholders like no company in history in the first three months of the year and intends to keep doing so, making the iPhone makers investors the clearest winners yet from the year's sweeping U.S. corporate tax cuts. Huh. It's almost like we said that's exactly what was going to happen. With a mountain of overseas cash suddenly freed up by the tax overhaul, Apple bought back $23.5 billion of its own stock in the March quarter, which is a record amount for any U.S. company. So, (laughs) because of the tax overhaul and because of the way that taxes now work for big corporations, Apple doesn't pay as much taxes as they used to. They've got the whole, like, offshore thing happening. They've got their headquarters somewhere else other than America, so they don't have to pay as many as many taxes as other American companies. And so what do they do with it? They hired more American workers to build more products here in America? No. Peter. No. Did they give a pay raise to the workers that are already working for Apple? No. Did they improve the conditions at the horrible, horrible plant where some of the Apple products are manufactured in China? No. Did they make the rich get richer? You're damn right they did. But is that going to trickle down to me and you? I'm sorry, Ray. It's going to be a no. It's going to be a no. They're going to continue to charge too much for their products. They're going to continue to treat their workers like crap. Who, by the way, commit suicide. Literally commit suicide. Literally commit suicide because the conditions that they work in are that awful. Um, Apple also gave out another $3.2 billion. $3.2 billion. This is chump change for them. $3.2 billion in dividends and will boost them. By 16% going forward. Not only are they throwing FU money at investors, they're going to send even more later. Is that insane? I feel like I'm going insane. Get the duct tape, people. Get the duct tape and wrap it around my head because it's going to explode in a nasty mess all over the studio. (laughs) I feel horrible for giving Apple my business over the years. Me too. And I I do. I think that it's troubling when you zoom all the way out when you look at the tax plan also, because there's another side of this. As you give more and more tax cuts to the people that are already wealthy, that don't really need it, who aren't then reinvesting it in America or in its like American workers or anything like that, it becomes more and more difficult and more and more expensive for these smaller alternative companies to flourish, which makes it more and more difficult to actually, as consumers, make conscious decisions on who to give business to because essentially it's creating monopolies. Yeah. 
And Apple's obviously not alone in this, right? There was no, a story look at yes- Amazon. There was a story yesterday. Jeff Bezos said, the only way that I could possibly spend this amount of money that I have accumulated, the only way that I could spend all of it is if I was to just start investing in space travel. Great. Do that then. He, like, buy more newspapers. Do something with your money. He's just collecting things and shutting down mom and pop stores all across. What I would rather see, like, rather him, uh, I would rather see him, like, pay his workers like there was yes, also there was also a story workers. Th- there was also a story this week about how Amazon employees people who work at Amazon are having to rely on food stamps yep in the US their distribution centers that's we're not talking about like corporate Amazon workers that are like tapping away on their computers we're sure. talking about like the people fulfilling the they're, yeah. they're called pickers yeah exactly the people that make sure that you're getting your package in <laughs> one hour right. or whatever they right. deliver now right these people are working in like sweatshop like conditions. Yeah. In the US. Yeah. So they're having to rely on food stamps. Well, Jeff Bezos says, gosh, I've got so much money. I, I literally could burn it do. all. I could burn it all. And it would it would just take too long. Like that's basically where we are. So yeah, capitalism's doing great, guys. It's doing wonderful. Tax cuts plan is awesome. Really wonderful. Good job, everyone. Good job, everyone. Anyway, uh, find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. We'll maybe read some of your comments when we come back. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter Ogburn if you would like to. Uh, send me your comment. Send me your comment. I already seen some comments come in. Uh, we'll read about some of those uh, when we come back here on the Bill Press Show. It's 32 minutes past the hour. Coming up next, we will be joined by Amanda Becker from Thomson Reuters. Uh, Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yes, it is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today on this Wednesday. Wednesday, right? Yeah, it's Wednesday, May 2nd. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning in. Remember, we are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, on the letter from Dr. Harold Bornstein, uh, my man Romaine in Chicago says, great physical strength and stamina? Remember, he kept all the European leaders waiting as he waited for a golf cart to transport him during that first summit. I remember that. It was like a 200-yard walk, and they all sat and had to wait for Trump because he had to find a golf cart to take to, to get there for the photo op. Um, also on Twitter at BP show, uh, Joey says, take from the poor and give to the rich. Nothing that was said about the tax scam was true. No raises, no promotions. So no, so no new hires, just stock buybacks and CEOs and shareholders taking it all. Eat the rich. Yeah. That's kind of what I was saying. (laughs) I think you pretty much got it, Joey. Uh, if you have a comment, find us on Twitter at BP show. Uh, I am lucky enough to be joined now in studio by a reporter for Thomson Reuters, Amanda Becker. Hi, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. You can follow Amanda on Twitter at Amanda Becker uh, and uh, read uh, her good work at Reuters.com. So I, I wanted to get you in, first of all, because it it still is remarkable to me that we're talking about the wall. Still out there, right? We're going to build a wall, and Mexico is going to pay for it. Not exactly. Uh, but, like, we still don't really have any concrete plan for how the wall is going to be built, who's going to be paid paying for it. Or anything like that. And then earlier this week, Donald Trump said he's going to shut the whole country down. 
He did. It was at a rally in Washington, Michigan. As he liked to say, he was in the other Washington, the night of the Correspondence Center. That's right. (laughs) Um, I traveled there with the president, and one of the promises he made at his rally was that he will shut the government down if he does not get the money for the wall that he wants when the current budget expires at the end of September, and they need to do a new one for 2019. So he has, has really tied himself to this idea of the wall, right? It was earlier, there was a funding bill that he expressed that he was very angry about it because it didn't explicitly spell out funds for the wall. But he signed it anyway because I I think he hid behind, you know, like military funding and all that type of stuff. But he's made it very, very, very clear that the wall is probably his biggest priority. Definitely, in terms of spending bills. And what he says about it, though, changes, depends on who he's talking to. So he has complained about signing that spending bill. He said it was ridiculous. He would never sign anything like that ever again. He was mad he didn't get the money he wanted. So there was one point in that spending bill um, for added border measures, Mm. but it was mainly for technology and also to be used on other sorts of barriers, such as new fencing, see-through fencing, and repairing existing fencing. However, at the rally on Saturday, he called that $1.6 billion a down payment <laughs> and, and was telling his people that that was the down payment he got for the wall. And, you know, don't worry, I'm going to get more in the next deal. So it's not, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, it does change, right? So uh, for me, I mean, the, the wall has changed so many times. Um, going back to the campaign, we're going to have a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. But what's what I and and that is sort of Donald Trump style for better or worse, right? Like that's just how he does things. But the thing that I found so fascinating is how the Republicans have carried that message forward, right? Like it was not long after he was sworn in that Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan all kind of said, like, yeah, no, no, Mexico's not gonna pay for that wall. We're gonna pay for the wall. And so politically, I think that Trump can sort of get away with that stuff. I'm not sure that a Paul Ryan or a Mitch McConnell or the Republicans will be able to get away with it by like just echoing Trump on this this type of stuff. Oh, definitely not. And I mean, the government is not going to shut down unless Congress passes a spending bill and Trump refuses to sign it. Is the one scenario right. I would see that the government shuts down. When is the next chance of shutdown? Like, the end we... of September. So okay. they finally got a deal that gets us to the end of September. But what Great. <laughs> what is four to five weeks after that? the midterm congressional elections. Oh, boy. So nobody wants, no Republican other than Trump is angling for a shutdown at the end of September. I mean, it it is... It's hard to figure out politically, like, the ups and... Or the upside of weaponizing a government shutdown. And I know Republicans get that. Like, Republicans that are running for re-election, they get that. But Trump doesn't seem to get that. He doesn't. And, I mean, I don't know if you saw about five days ago, I think it was, the New York Times had a, had a story kind of looking at dynamics within the White House saying advisors were really trying to make the case to Trump that they could be in trouble in November. He needs to take it really seriously. Um, I'm not sure the message is sunk in yet if yeah. he's still threatening a shutdown because it would be disastrous politically for there to be a shutdown that close to the election. It's just kind of – it's like – same old story, right? Like, Donald Trump's not going to do anything that someone else tells him he has to do, right? Like, M- Mr. President, you can't go out there and say it would be great if we shut down the entire country. Well, that means he's going to do it. I'm, who knows? Right, I mean, right, our right. past shutdowns, he did end up signing it. The shutdowns were, you know, ranged from a few hours to a few days um, over the past six months uh, as we kind of went through a series of short-term deals where they right. were trying to work out the longer-term deal. 
Um, I mean, I think it really, you know, he's he's a he can be a wild card. Who knows if he gets something on his desk? He's certainly a wild card. He could card. sign it. He could not sign <laughs> it. Um, I guess in that scenario, at least Republicans in Congress would be able to say, well, you know, we pa- we passed a spending deal. Um, we gave it to the president. That would be their only kind of cover going into the election. But I still don't think it would be a good political optic for the government to be shut down as people were campaigning. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I do think that, that gives them a, a certain amount of cover, right? And and Donald Trump certainly in the past has gone after his own party, right? Whether it was on health care or whatever, right? Like he'll he'll pick that fight. And if they give him a bill that he doesn't like, he'll just completely lay waste to them as they're going into the elections. To, to your point, like that would be, I mean, hell, that would be entertaining, but probably not <laughs> ideal for those people that are running. You know, the one thing he said on Saturday that indicated to me that maybe he was starting to understand the dynamics here going into November Mm. is he talked about one thing that Democrats never talk about is he said the I word impeachment. He told the rally, you know, you got to be sure and get out there and vote in November because, you know, these people, they're they're trying to impeach me. Um, So maybe he is uh, does grasp kind of what's on the line politically and how close things could be in November and what's at stake. Bold strategy. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's a bold strategy. I mean, to go out there and sort of admit that that your political opponents feel that you're doing such a bad job that they want to impeach you, something that doesn't really happen much. <laughs> I mean, I was, I actually, I don't know if I was surprised he said it. It's like the, really? the, the Democrats have been loath to say it. Yeah. Um, but coming from a president who's, you know, the refrain uh, about his opponents was lock her up. So Fair. so I, I don't know if it was that off the wall, given the audience and the, and the context. I think for me, it's a little more self-aware of Trump than like I'm used to saying. It was. And I do think, you know, I think that was like a day after that New York Times story had come out. So mm. I think that maybe that was one sign that maybe some of those conversations are starting to yeah. to sink in that his advisors are having with him about November. That makes sense. I mean, I could totally see that, but like, boy, oh boy, it's a, it, it is a bold strategy. It is a bold strategy. It certainly was motivating. I mean, the, the, yeah. crowd, the crowd was attentive during that part <laughs> right. of the speech. So. Right. Uh, all right. I want to move on from the Trump stuff. I want to talk a little bit about some things going on in Congress. First of all, Bob Menendez remarkably is still alive politically. Like he he, he manages is. to just keep afloat somehow. Um, what's the latest with him? He's in more trouble. So, well, he's not really. Okay. Uh, the Senate Ethics Committee uh, put out a letter last week and said uh, they were sev- severely admonishing him. So they put out this long letter. They had had an investigation into the exact same things that he was investigated by federal prosecutors for, which was essentially allowing his buddy, um, a wealthy Florida eye doctor, to pay for his private flights. And Melgan, Dr. Melgan. Yeah, Dr. We've talked about him many, many times. So, um, yes, Dr. Melgan, who's in in prison right now um, for Medicare fraud. Uh, And he had paid for private planes, hotel stays. When you're a member of Congress, all of that can be considered a campaign donation. So essentially, Dr. Melgan was giving him uh, campaign donations that far surpassed what you're allowed to give to a candidate. So 
you know, Menendez was investigated for this. They tried him on this, um, on criminal charges. It ended in a hung jury. They decided not to bring another case. It's actually really hard to convict people <laughs> of this sort of thing. Much harder than you would think, given the evidence. Um, so the Senate Ethics Committee had, had an investigation as well. Generally, Congress will pause its investigation of somebody, someone while federal prosecutors bring their case. Oh, interesting. So okay. then it okay. restarts after that case concludes. Okay. So they restarted theirs in November. Right, because uh, Menendez was hung jury, acquitted or hung jury. Dismissed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charges were dismissed. Um, and so they restarted it, and they put out this long letter that essentially said it kind of— <laughs> Not in not so many words said, look, we think you did all the things that you were accused of. Yeah. Um, you should pay it all back. But nevertheless, just decided they would severely admonish him. And they said, we severely admonish you. Slap on the wrist. Like, yes, exactly. And it's called a letter of admonishment. You're being severely admonished, yes. young man. It's basically one of the least <laughs> serious things they can do to somebody is admonish them. And just by adding the word severely doesn't change anything. They could Super have, double yes, secret probation. They they could have decided to, um, you know, have a formal investigation and like a trial type thing in the Senate that could lead to an actual serious punishment, such as censure or dismissal. But these ethics but that's not going to happen. No, these ethics committees were designed so that no one ever actually gets in trouble. <laughs> a senator has not been kicked out since the Civil War. What? Yeah. Really? Yes. <laughs> well, the. Doing a heck of a job over there, then. Yeah. I mean, look, I, the the Menendez stuff is not good for him, and I'm amazed that he's survived it this long. But like, how would we expect any anybody to be held accountable that way? I mean, the ethics committees are pretty toothless in the House and the Senate. And on the House side, they created an outside office that was supposed to like at least police them a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day. Nothing ever really happens. Usually, uh, you know, a member, if things actually start to get serious, some they'll just resign. Yeah. If it looks like they're actually going to get in trouble for anything. And guess what? As soon as you resign, they have no power over they you. They have no anymore. power. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> that really does put things into perspective, right? When you hear yeah. everybody, you know, beating the drum about an ethics investigation, Senate ethics investigation, what that's going to be, it doesn't mean anything, really. It, usually the most serious it gets is a letter of admonishment. Or if you're Menendez, severe admonishment. <laughs> and there's no real distinction between a letter of admonishment no, and severe admonishment. It's just something it's they made up in the letter. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I love it. I love it. It's amazing. It's amazing that he's made it this far. Um, meanwhile, also another U.S. lawmaker, uh, Patrick Meehan, Republican congressman from Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. Uh, he's out. He's gone. Sayonara. And yet again, this is another terrible elected man who uh, sexually harassed uh, women that he worked with. What, what's the what were the allegations? So the allegations um, mm -hmm. are that he paid a female staffer, now a former female staffer, sure, a thirty nine thousand dollar settlement um, because she felt uncomfortable working in his office. He has said in prior interviews he considered her a quote-unquote soulmate. Um, this woman was several decades Ooh, younger boy. than him. He's a married father of three children, I believe. Um, obviously, she did not feel that he was her soulmate and became uncomfortable, and so he paid her a $39,000. Uh, he calls it a severance payment, and she left the office. 
Oh my god. Like I I, I don't want to like take it too like all right, I, I don't really flippant about this because I, I sexual harassment was obviously very very serious, right? But like what the hell is wrong? With like, uh, there was the other lawmaker. I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting who because there's so many. But the guy that was like, asked one of his female staffers to carry his baby. Trent, Trent Franks. Franks. Yeah, exactly. Trent Franks asked his employee if she would carry his child. I believe offered to pay her. Yeah, yeah. like a lot of money. Yeah. And then now he's telling female staffers that he thought she was his soulmate. Capitol Hill is an interesting place. I mean, it's definitely that. <laughs> And then paid her $39,000. So, like, after the Me Too movement sort of began, I guess, in, like, October, began. I mean, it's been going yes. on for a while. But, yeah. like, really started capturing headlines, right, in, like, October of last year. Um, there have been multiple members of Congress that have had to leave or said they're not running for re-election or mm-hmm. resign for, for allegations. Um, and we've talked to a lot of different reporters who have come in and been like, just you wait. Like, we're working on pieces, or there are a lot of people working on pieces, and there are so many more out there, and so many more are coming. And it just, it it has felt like it's been like a drip, drip, drip. Yeah, I mean, there's at least six now who have left because of sexual harassment. uh, Which is no small thing. Yeah. In in as many months. We had heard, there was rumors going around the Hill that the list could be as long as several dozen. Um, We haven't gotten there yet, Uh, but there's a lot of lawmakers, and... I'm sure, you know, we'll start to find out more. So one of the reasons it's so hard. So <laughs> Meehan actually, there's actually a fund, and I'm sure you've talked about it, on Capitol Hill. Let's talk about it some more because yeah. I'm fascinated by yes. this. So there's a fund. It wasn't specifically created to pay sexual harassment settlements. But it what? was. It was. <laughs> it's a fund that's used <laughs> to, you know, uh, to use for employment disputes. So, you know, if you've been dis- discriminated against and you bring a claim or something like that, there's this fund that pays out the settlements to the former employees. Um, Meehan actually decided he wasn't going to use that fund. He uh, said, so he he had said he wasn't going to run again. So last week he resigned. Mm-hmm. He had said previously that he, don't worry, he had asked the ethics committee, the House Ethics Committee, if it was okay to use his office funds to pay this a severance payment of $39,000 to this young woman instead of using that official house fund. So if you pay someone with your office funds, it's just going to show up as a salary payment on, you know, your books. And I don't know if that's why he did it, but that's how it would show up. It would be very difficult to notice that anything was amiss. Um, so he said, a little he said, I asked the ethics committee if I could do this. He was on the ethics committee. <laughs> When it, yes. when it approved the payment. Oh, so he on. was he got approval from himself and a couple other colleagues and paid this payment. He has now said, you know, don't worry. So that's taxpayer money from his office. It would yeah. also be taxpayer money if it came from the special fund. So yeah. either way, ta- either way taxpayers, you know, foot the bill. So he has said now that he's resigning, um, he, you know, he'll repay the money. Uh, Fair, Representative Farentold said the same thing. He'll repay the money. Eventually. Yeah. Uh, well, in Meehan's case, he said he'd do it within 30 days. Right, right, right. But with, yeah, yeah. with Farenthold, like he dragged that out yes. forever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he, they're, so they're, they're having to pay this money back. Well, they've offered to. Oh, they've offered to. Yes. They don't have to, yes. which is, which they is interesting. They don't yeah. have to. What a, what a wild so, way to run things. It was something I'm really interested in is I talked to some campaign finance law attorneys mm-hmm. last week. 
Uh, Meehan has $2 million sitting in a re-election account. He's not running for re-election anymore. So typically if you have a, a bunch of money left over in yeah. an account and you leave Congress and you don't plan on running for another public office, you can give it to the party, you can parcel it out to other candidates that you want to support. Okay. Um, the attorneys were mixed on whether you could actually use that money to repay the treasury <laughs> for the taxpayer dollars oh for the settlement. God. Now, that's just a question I asked. There was no indication he plans on doing this. Sure. I asked I asked his office because his statement never explicitly said, I will pay it back with my own with personal With my own funds. personal money. So I asked the office to clarify they didn't get back to me. Oh, boy. That's shady. That's shady. It's, I mean, again, I, I just mentioned this, but it's like it's so crazy how Congress runs, like how it works. It's like, very difficult for them to get in trouble. So when they do, it's they've they've really they've gone out of their way. Yeah, they've really, really, really screwed up for them to actually get in trouble. Can you imagine any other business running that way? Oh, we have to pay someone $39,000 because I harassed them, but we're just going to put it on our book so it looks like a regular salary payment. Ray, can you go into petty cash and book me a private jet? Yep, got it. Thank you. But but make sure it goes on like the regular payroll stuff, so it just looks like a bonus or whatever. Oh right 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 yeah yeah, 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 yeah. got yeah. it. Normal businesses totally run normal things <laughs> that way, right? Holy crap! It's I mean, is there any sort of indication that these types of laws, like when you talk about the money stuff and the funds to pay things out and the the possibility that he might be using his campaign funds to pay this stuff back, is there any indication that those things are going to be? overhauled and so fixed. congress was supposed to be overhauling how that fund works they wanted um to perhaps not use taxpayer dollars to settle sexual harassment huh. claims um i like or, that idea or to at least disclose when it happened but mm. here's the thing to pass any of this stuff they have to vote on it and they would essentially have to attach it to another must-pass measure, such as the spending bill, which they didn't. And so as soon as it wasn't attached to that, we knew it was never going to happen, probably, because these people do not want to vote against something that's in their not in their own best interests. So why would they want to sign off on something that potentially could at some point force them to have their name published when they pay the claim? <laughs> So it just seems like they're going to try and wait this out and just kind of wait for it to go away and then they won't have to deal with it. That's what it seems like, that they're just going to wait until the whole Me Too dies down, hope that there aren't, you know, two dozen more situations that come to light and quietly go about their business as they have before. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think that there are other members of Congress who might have sexual harassment allegations against them. I know, crazy, wild, kooky, zany, nutty thing to say, but like I'm willing to bet there are more out there. And this might not die down so quick. Okay, we've only got about two minutes left, but uh, you had also written some stuff, uh, Reuters.com, about Michael Cohen. Stormy Daniels uh, is, has brought another lawsuit against uh, Donald Trump. This time it's, it revolves around defamation and some things that Donald Trump had said about Stormy Daniels on his favorite medium, Twitter. Yes, he had tweeted, and I forget what the tweet said exactly. Con job is yes, the big takeaway. but the away. summary was... Um, she, so Stormy Daniels says that at one point she was threatened by a man in a parking garage when yep. she had her young child with her to not talk about her affair with Trump. She had a sketch artist create a sketch not too long ago of what this man looked like. And Trump tweeted something to the effect that this sketch was a con job and she was, you know, tricking fake news into going along with it, et cetera, et cetera. 
So she has now sued the president for defamation. Um, and she's a private citizen. So while, you know, Trump has complained that he's defamed, it's very hard to, to defame a public figure. Sure. Um, but it's the, this is the way the laws yeah, are written. The, yeah. the standards are much different if you are the public figure defaming a private citizen. A private citizen. So. so she could actually maybe have a case here. I'm not an attorney, but... Um, Nor am I. Yeah, I, so who knows? <laughs> right, I guess we'll sure. see as it goes forward, but I guess that's the risk you run when you when you tweet about people. Man, it's fascinating times. Amanda Becker from Thomson Reuters. You can follow her on Twitter at Amanda Becker and read her work at Reuters.com. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining us. I pre- First visit to the show. I hope yes. you come back. Yeah, I hope of course. you come back. And maybe you won't have to do it with, you know... <laughs> the B team. The B team. Anytime. Stay tuned, everybody. Uh, Van Newkirk II from The Atlantic is going to be joining us here in just a little while. We're going to talk some Kanye West. I'm very excited about this. Uh, stay tuned. It's me, Peter Ogburn, filling in for Bill Press today. Very quick break. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is me, Peter Ogburn, filling in for Bill Press today. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Bill Press Show. I appreciate you being there. Remember, we are all over the place. Not only are we broadcasting on your favorite progressive talk radio station, uh, we are also uh, in podcast form. Just look for The Bill Press Show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, on iTunes, if you're there, make sure you subscribe and review. We would really, really appreciate that. Also, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And Patreon, Patreon.com slash BP Show. We're doing some special content up there on Patreon. Uh, the most recent one is I did a video with my buddy Greg Engert, who is uh, one of the biggest and best minds when it comes to beer in America, and we talked all about like summery, warmer weather beers. That was such a fun conversation. We got into how they pick names, how they design cans, what makes a good summer and spring beer. It was a really fun conversation. Not gonna lie, I got a little drunk. I don't drink that much anymore. <laughs> I don't drink that much anymore. And we did we taped it at like well, there were yeah we taped it in the morning, super early in the drunk. morning, and um, I think there were four beers that we talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The best part is, uh, by the way, Van, our buddy Van Newkirk II for the Atlantic is here and with us. Hey, Van, how you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Good. I'm sorry we didn't bring you beer this morning. Oh, yeah, I was like, where's my beer? <laughs> <laughs> the best part is, and this always happens because we usually tape this stuff with Greg on like a Friday, and he brings in these beers, and we just do little samples on the air, right? They're like, you know, like half of a cup. Yeah, but then. And then he leaves, and he's like, yeah, just keep these. And so they're like, what are you going to do? They're open. I can't keep them. So You're they... not going to throw them away. Yeah, you no. can't throw them away. So Friday was treat day. I got 
We've hand. had a lot of good conversations lately, actually. Right before that, uh, Bill did one with Colin O'Mara, the president and CEO of the National Wildlife Foundation. We did one with um, the Fancy Radish people talking about veganism. It was a really fun month on our Patreon. Not to mention, we had our 420 show. Yes. Where we did dabs in studio. The first time ever dabs were done in the Bill Press studio. Okay, that one was a little <laughs> intense, but that was also a fun conversation we had our friend phone homie instagram star came in studio set up his rig and was doing dabs local celeb in the studio, who by the way is a new father he's oh, had a, his wife no, had a, his wife it. had a baby yesterday oh my gosh congratulations phone homie <laughs> he was in here doing dabs a week ago wow <laughs> oh no yeah <laughs> i mean that's tough man that's tough also phone homie is a new BP Show follower on Twitter. You can find us at BP Show. Yeah, please do. Please find us on Twitter at BP Show. We got lots of comments. Uh, Katie actually uh, uh, tweeted us during the break there and says, I, I usually miss the first 30 minutes of the show due to my morning walk. Today, due to the weather, I caught the show. After listening to Peter, I want to be clear, I think she's saying because of all the content I was talking about, not me personally after listening to peter i'm so depressed i wish i'd brave the thunderstorms i think she's talking about the content we were talking all about dr harold bornstein and <laughs> donald trump's i don't think that it's because she was looking at you that she feels super depressed looking at me it's been listening to me <laughs> i don't think it was Am I that hard to look at too <laughs> after listening to you i wanted to walk out into a tornado <laughs> Into a literal thunderstorm. I would rather go for a walk in a literal thunderstorm than have to listen to you talk. Anyway, thank you. I appreciate the. I appreciate you reaching out. <laughs> uh, Van Newkirk the second from the Atlantic is in the studio. Uh, you've written about so much stuff, and I'm, we're going to jump into it. Um, here in just a little bit. It's going to be hard for us to not talk about Infinity War the whole time. I, I, I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah, yeah a couple yeah, times. Now. Yeah, yeah. You've seen it. All right. I, I've only seen yeah. it once, uh, uh, mostly because every other showing I wanted to see uh, was, was sold out. We've only got like ten seconds before we have to take like a little break. Your grade for Infinity War? A B, but it's so much more than a movie. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 As like a series finale, I give it like an A. Okay, all right. Yeah. I gave it I gave it the same thing. I gave it a B, but I'm willing to change my grade based on what happens next year. Exactly. Because that's going to be a big part of it. All right. Yeah. Stay tuned, everybody. A very, very, very quick break, and we'll be right back. Radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show here on May 2nd, a Wednesday. Bill is on the West Coast uh, finishing up his book tour for uh, his book, From the Left. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. I always say this whenever I fill in. I always like to bring in the smartest people that we know on the show so that I can surround myself with wonderful goodness, not unlike the way that a donut surrounds an empty, vacuous hole with really wonderful things. That's why I have my buddy Van Newkirk in studio. Van Newkirk II from The Atlantic. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, empty, vacuous hole. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, okay, there's so much stuff that we want to talk about with you, um, but I have to start with 
the most bonkers story. You know where I'm going. Oh, yeah. It's Kanye oh, yeah. West. Kanye. It's Kanye West. You wrote about the dragon energy between Kanye West and Donald Trump, which is a, a term that Kanye West used to describe what he and Donald Trump have in common. They both have that dragon energy. Yeah, he said they both have dragon energy. Yeah. I don't know what that means. but I don't either. It's provocative. I really don't know what it means. But, you know, it's funny because I had completely forgotten, just completely put out of my mind, that Kanye had met with Trump at Trump Tower during the transition. Yeah. I totally forgot. I he mean, caught tons of heat for that. Yeah. Too. I remember sort of having the same round of what's happening now in miniature. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. And at the time, I thought, like, Okay, if you've listened to hip hop for any period of time, Donald Trump is a theme among a lot of rappers. They like they bring him up. They like they they like to consider themselves to be sort of in the same company as Donald Trump, and he's just sort of like there are multiple rap songs that, that yeah, mention Donald yeah. Trump. So I just figured that was like a thing, right? But now we have Kanye actually coming out and really being vocal about his support of Donald Trump. Um, what what? What's yeah. happening? I mean, I don't even think it's the support of Donald Trump that has lots of people sort of riled up right now. I mean, he is he's wearing his MAGA hat. He yeah. has it uh, signed or whatever. He has Donald Trump Jr. sharing his stuff on Instagram. You know, people are just having a blast. But it's really it's not really his support of Trump that is getting even the Trump people moving. It's his uh, rejection of black activism you know this whole like get over he said uh, yesterday on tmz that slavery 400 years it sounds like a choice to me and that's the thing like people i mean this it sounded at first suspicious like it was a sort of publicity stunt yeah yeah you know he always got an album coming out he's got multiple albums coming out that he's producing uh maybe he's just doing this you know he did black skinhead uh, a couple years ago for yeezus and that was sort of uh, it was con- considered subversive. Uh, if you look back on it, I don't know how really subversive it was. But, you know, you had black folks in, in clan hoods, yeah. right? And that was supposed to be his thing. People thought that was, again, you know, sort of the same thing happening. But then he's really, I think, explicating his beliefs on slavery, on uh, the the place of black people in the country. And that's, it's not the support, but that message that resonates with Trump, with the alt-right folks, yeah. with the, the Nazis who were retweeting him on Twitter is that black people are wrong about oppression. It's that people are wrong about oppression. That all you have to do is have a dragon energy positive free thinking mindset and you can go and do whatever you please. There was a there was a great moment. We don't have time to play all the audio, but there was a great moment because Kanye went on TMZ yesterday yeah. and he's in the news. Anybody who's watched TMZ, you know, it's just like a newsroom setup. That is their set. They're like in the TMZ newsroom. And there was an African-American man, employee uh, at, at TMZ. Van Lathan. Who stood up and really called Kanye out. Yeah. And kind of said, like, you get to say these things because, you, first of all, good for you. You're one of the most successful rappers, if not the most successful rapper of all time. Uh, you get to say these things. There are a lot of us that don't have that luxury. And... Essentially saying, like, you are really out of touch here, and you are going way too far, and you're putting a lot of us at risk. Yeah. And I don't know if it really, if the message really reached Kanye. 
it was the closest, I think. Yeah. Uh, you could see he really, his face changed a little bit, and he said, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Not yeah. I'm sorry if I hurt you, but I'm sorry that I hurt you. Right. Still, he went back to saying the exact same thing. I was going to say, like, that's the Five classical, like, I'm sorry that you're mad at me, or I'm sorry right, that right. you got mad at something that I said. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went on Twitter and tried to sort of break everything down. He, he did seem to realize that people were criticizing him legitimately. Yeah. And he was trying to defend things and saying, I didn't really think it was a choice. You know, I think I didn't think people were put on the ships by choice, but it's still, you know, it's just a jumble. And at the end of the day, I do think he he really does believe people uh, who were enslaved and people who talk about oppression now are choosing to embrace being oppressed, which is just okay. It gets back to the the dragon energy stuff, right? 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 Like mind over matter, which is really not something that's able to be done. Uh, for a lot of people. Uh, so I, I'm willing to accept Kanye going to Trump Tower during the transition. It was well, cringy. A couple black folks went to the Trump sure, Tower. During, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It was cringy. It was yeah. cringy. But like, okay, that's fine. Um, but it feels like he's gone too far. And so this is a broad question, but like, is Kanye okay to listen to anymore is he bad now is this like is he a problematic guy that we should like or how like how do we how do we navigate this stuff right there's always been a conversation about the art versus the artist sure um and i think with kanye though i don't know if there's a whole lot of difference uh between the art and the artist a lot of what and this is what i was talking about black skinhead his political messaging is part of the package of the performance Totally. It's part of the music. The music and the and the antics are not separate things. They are one total package of Kanye, a performance artist. Yeah. Um, and and I think people are gonna have to make some hard choices. I don't think you can really say in in good faith and sort of good rational logic that I don't support Kanye. I'm not going to support him in this manner, but I'm going to buy his music. That's, that's going to take some 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 leaps. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, people make those leaps all the time. That's that's how we deal with music. I mean, it, it's it, this this is not exactly the best analogy, right? But I, I I think of other artists who have had, and again, I, I don't. I'm not trying to make a quantum leap here, but like. Woody Allen is a guy. I won't see Woody Allen's movies anymore. Yeah. Right? Because there have been multiple allegations of uh, really bad things that are brought against Woody Allen. I won't see Woody Allen movies anymore. I'm not going to give money to go see him that will go back into his pocket because I think he's a bad guy. Uh, and with some really bad behavior. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel a little bit the same way about Kanye like you can't really there is a certain responsibility you have as a public figure and as an artist that people sort of uh look up to to not be irresponsible the way that he's being and it's you know especially this week um with the opening of the lynching museum you know I just think about yeah all the pieces of history that that I've I've been sifting through and seeing the memories of people who were just you know devastated by this stuff, devastated as a system. Yeah. And I just don't know how you can get and and say those things. Say slavery was a choice. Say all these people who were oppressed since then uh, just had to you know basically free themselves. 
that's just it's not just irresponsible it's disrespectful yeah to those folks and, and it just to me you know that's there's a difference between me between being dumb right <laughs> and there's lots of artists who i'm like oh that was dumb as shit but, <laughs> right, 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 but you know right, i'm right, listening right. and being right. disrespectful yeah. and this is where to me you know we're in the realm of disrespect yeah yeah i think that's a really good point yeah i think that's a really really good point i will never listen to kanye's music the same way again yeah i just won't Right, like I just went on a road trip and listened to a lot of Kanye a couple weeks ago, and now I'm like, ooh, I don't, I don't think I can listen to it the same way. What a difference a week makes! Really and truly, <laughs> man, I mean, yeah. it's really kind of fascinating. Uh, I just don't know where this ends. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll see what the album's like. He's already released those two songs, and one is talking about poop, <laughs> so it's not trend, not trending up. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if he releases an album that was just horrible? I mean, I don't want to say great, but, like, wouldn't that be just the perfect ending to this? Like, he releases a terrible album that nobody wants to listen to. Well, yeah. The, the people that would decide. Be a capstone. The people decide. Uh, Van, you've also written a lot about uh, healthcare in the past. You have a, a really interesting story that went up about a week ago. Uh, the true cost of cheap health insurance. We're at this weird phase now where we're, like, really starting to evaluate what the Trump administration is trying to do to insurance in this country. Tom Price came out and sort of said, Tom like, Price. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. a name I haven't thought about in quite some time. But Tom Price, former HHS secretary under Donald Trump, who had to leave under scandal, uh, came out and basically said, like, GOP, y'all own this. Yeah. If the healthcare system tanks in this country, that's going to be on you. No matter how many times Donald Trump says it's the Democrats that are doing it, it's on you. And the expanded access to junk plans right. is a big sort of part of what Donald Trump wants to do with the healthcare system, which you wrote about this. I mean, how dangerous is that? Yeah, just one note on Tom Price. It's interesting what not being in the administration <laughs> does for for how you think about policy, right? Because yeah. actually the, the, the seeds of this were put in place while, while Price was still secretary. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting seeing that. But yeah, um, the idea here is now that because premiums are going up so much because of Trump, uh, also Obamacare premiums are going up before Trump, but but a lot of the recent spikes are because of this administration policy. So now in order to uh, to ameliorate that, the Trump wants to allow, and I think the plan is the the, the final rule is going to come out soon. People to purchase short-term insurance plans, junk plans. Yeah. Uh, basically, they're not regulated the same way Obamacare plans are. They basically can contain anything. Um, you can get a short-term plan that doesn't cover prescriptions, doesn't cover can cancer treatment, doesn't cover pre-existing conditions. Most of them don't cover maternity. What does it cover? In the piece, I sort of wheel and you yeah. get to figure out what it covers. In the piece, I go through a plan, the cheapest plan you can get in Phoenix, Arizona, mm. which is one where you have a five thousand dollar deductible, where it covers up to a thousand dollars of a, a hospital expense. Uh, where up you up to a thousand yeah, dollars? Where everything after that five thousand up to your out of pocket maximum you have to pay fifty percent of out of pocket, um, and so it ends up when you do the math when you take it, say you get hit by a bus. These are these are referred to as hit by a bus plans because sure. they're only useful for that. And I'm like okay, say this actually happens. Say you get hit by a bus. You're a young guy who is just healthy otherwise. You get hit by a bus. You break your arm. You have to pay basically out of the first fifteen thousand dollars. You have to pay something like twelve thousand dollars. It's a 25% discount you're paying this monthly money for. That's not health insurance. 
No, it's not. That's, that's a discount card at your hospital. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I mean, honestly, uh, you could. I mean, you can work that out on your own. Right. There are like, if you go to the hospital, plans. There's yeah, lots of hospital discounts, and actually, if you just can't pay it, lots of hospitals you just walk out the door. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, if you if you go to a hospital and you don't have insurance, and they give you a bill for twenty thousand dollars, and you say to them flat out, "Guys, I can't pay this. Yeah. I don't have the money. I don't have insurance. I can't pay it." They'll work with you to bring it down. Yeah, by at least that amount of money that there are, there's insurance. There are, total, there are lots of yeah, lots of nonprofit hospitals with uncompensated care plans to get people through this yeah so actually there in in some cases you may be better off being uninsured than having this literally 25 discount because you're paying more for the insurance yeah and then you have to pay everything at t- and Man. then for these people who are you know most people who are considering this don't have a whole lot of money so you're paying something like 40 exactly. 50 a month for this that you could be using for food yeah and you get basically nothing on the back end. It's criminal, man. It's this is criminal. This is, I mean, this is a total embarrassment to what we could be getting done on something that needs a lot of reform and rehab. Right. And we're just not only are we not doing anything, we're making it so much worse for so many different people. So you're gonna have lots of people, especially because people don't quite know that the, the mandate's gone. Right. So there are lots of people who are like, oh, I have to get insurance now. I'm gonna get the insurance I can afford now. Now I can get it for 12, 12 months. I can renew it. I'm going to be perpetually on short-term insurance. I'm not going to know what the terms are because these places have been sued multiple times for not telling people what the true terms are. And there are lots of people who get these $20,000 bills and their insurance doesn't cover any of it because they don't cover pre-existing. They don't, they don't cover cancer. They don't cover maternity. So you're, you're paying money that you need and it's something that may not actually work for you at all. Right. Yeah. It's not even 25% discount. Right. <laughs> even if could so- be nothing. Right. Nothing at all. Yeah. If you get hit by a bus, you get the 25% discount. Yeah. Anything else happens. You get cancer, yeah, they'll pay for your treatment, but they won't pay for your drugs. And, you know, drugs are 80% of what happens yeah. with cancer. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Holy cow. Um, I just, it's just so depressing. Yeah. And for all the talk about, you know, Democrats are going to get the blame for this, Democrats are going to get blamed for this. Democrats, I think, have to figure out where they want to be on health care. And, like, look, I've got a lot of problems with Obamacare. It was definitely better than what we had, okay? But at the end of the day, still the uh, drug companies and the hospitals and the providers were still in charge, right? So they could still sort of take some liberties with people. But don't get me wrong. It's a lot better than these these things that you've been writing about at theatlantic.com. So, like, do, do Democrats, are they sort of like, well, we just want to go back to an Obamacare-type system? Do we want to get to the single-payer system? It seems like there are more people getting on board with a single-payer system. Single-payer is gaining steam. I think it will actually become a litmus test issue over the next two elections. Yeah. Um, it seems to be trending that way. I think that and the jobs guarantee are things that I'm looking for. For to shape the 2020 primaries, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a, that's three years off. <laughs> sure. Um, it's a, it's it's also like one of those things that, you know, for all the railing against big government and all this type of stuff, like Trump voters, rural voters, Republicans, these are people who could really, really, really benefit from a single payer system. People love big government when they have it. Exactly. And that's, yeah. People, you see people who are on Medicaid. If it's not called Medicaid, it, it, oh, wow. Listen, I've yeah. talked about this before. My parents in South Carolina, they are Trump voters. They have been lifelong Republicans. My dad has a lot of health issues. He's on Medicaid. 
loves it. It's great. This is wonderful. I'm like, yeah, you know what this is, right? It's a socialized medicine. <laughs> That's socialized medicine. Like, this is socialized medicine. He's like, it's wonderful. He's like, this is the best healthcare I've ever gotten in my entire life. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because only the government has the power and uh, and lack of desire for profit. Right. There's not to a, make it happen. There's not a perverse incentive. Right. Profit will always uh, make the incentive towards keeping you not well, towards prolonging care, towards making bad decisions, towards over over prescribing. That's why we have an opioid crisis. Yeah. You know, that's that's just the 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 bottom line, literally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you can read more of Van's work at theatlantic.com. I did want to ask you about your most recent piece um, because uh, I, I also, I'm obviously on the show, but I also I freelance as a food writer. And you have a piece about how a Republican plan could actually make the food crisis worse yeah. for rural America. And I'm fascinated by this uh, because um, – well, I'll let you talk a little bit about what this is and what, what, what the, the, the issue is. So it's the first piece. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be digging in a little bit on this, on, on American hunger, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't think people realize it, it still exists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You go down to Mississippi, the Delta. You go down to uh, the Black Belt in Alabama, and there are families that aren't just having to choose between food and bills. There are families who go to sleep at night hungry. You actually see hookworm uh, returning to Alabama. Holy cow, um, man. And so we have these places where 30, 40, 50% of all the people in the county uh, cannot afford food, right? And those are places where they already have food stamps. <laughs> they already, after food stamps, after SNAP, they cannot still pay their bills. And so now there's a proposal that's probably going to pass the House, uh, it's probably going to pass the Senate, that is uh, that, uh, that wants to strengthen uh, and make more strict the work requirements for being on SNAP. For having subsidized food, I can't it's, believe we're still doing this. Right now, if you're under well, fifty, but... you're under fifty, you don't have a dependent kid. Yeah, there's their work requirements. Most states uh, in the recession waive them um, because they people needed them. Sure, um, and they didn't have jobs. Uh, but now they're coming back, and this proposal would increase that age limit to sixty. So now you have fifty, sixty year olds who need to go get work. Um, it's going to increase in twenty twenty six the amount of hours you have to work from twenty to twenty five a week. It, so that increases the number by in the month by 20 hours per month, right? It, it's going to uh, dramatically reduce the, the grace period. So now if you get fired from a job, you have three months to find a new job, right? Reduce that to one month. And it increases the penalties. So if you get caught once without a job, you go you can have a 12-month lockout from, from food stamps. You get caught twice, that's three years. So it's, Oh, my God. Yeah, it's basically... And what I, where the rubber meets the road is in, in in urban places, maybe a soup kitchen can help you out if you get you get you get kicked off. Rural places that does not exist. Right. In places in, in the most remote places in this country, in, in Mississippi and Kentucky and Alaska, like people sure. are going to. Uh, there's already not enough jobs there. And unemployment is still in the tank uh, in, in rural places in this country. Jobs that does not come back to the country. Um, there's already a big food crisis. Yeah. There's, again, there's people who can't afford food, yes, but there's also just not enough supply of yeah. food in the first place. Yeah. Grocery stores in the South are disappearing totally. There is not enough healthy food. Organic food is now costing three times what it would cost in the cities. So now you've you got people who don't have enough food, who don't have jobs, who are being told they need to get jobs to get food, which is just, yeah. Oh, man. 
and, and employment seasonal in lots of places in the South. If you work agriculture, right? You only work in the farms six, seven months out of the year. Yeah. So like, say you, now you don't have that three month grace period. What happens? Yeah. Yeah. If you're a farmhand, if you are a, a picker, yeah. How do you keep your food stamps? How do you keep your snap? You know, it, it's, it, I mean, this is obviously not new, uh, right? Like this, as yeah. you mentioned in it's your piece. It's already bad. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. As, as you mentioned in your piece, this really does bring up the the the, the ghost of the old welfare queen uh, argument that, that Ronald Reagan threw around right. 30 years ago, right? Uh, but this, I think, is perfectly Paul Ryan. Yeah. And I'm glad to see him leave. And this is going to be his legacy. Uh, not not necessarily this specific thing, but we have to punish people, right? Like if before you get any help from the government, you have to be punished. And it's medieval. Well, this was all, all of the work requirements in SNAP, uh, all the restrictions on TANF that are think, people are thinking about, even the HUD yeah. uh, rent increases, all of this, the seed of it is in, a document from Paul Ryan, that yeah. old white paper, the better way white paper where he's talking about how, and it's still in his slide, I think, about how to reform welfare, welfare reform. It's all there. And this is the fruition. You know, I, I, people had all these takes about Paul Ryan not getting what he wanted. And I'm like, you know. He's getting I, a lot of what I, he I wants. I think he got most of what he wanted. He's he, getting a lot of what he if, wants. If not yet, this year, when, you know, people, they're going to overhaul most of welfare in the next two, three years. Yeah, he's, look, he's getting it. Look, when you look at what happened with the tax cuts, which everybody is, is giving Paul Ryan credit for, and that's fine. He can have it. But you look at all the other things that are happening, like like this farm bill stuff. Yeah. Like that is the legacy of Paul Ryan. That's Paul Ryan. Punish people before they get help from – or for, for wanting to get help from the government. I mean – that's depressing, man. You know, and I, I hate playing – the this will hurt Trump voters the most hard, but this seems to be one of those places. I mean, this is and this is what I try to say in the piece. Rural America is pretty racially diverse. Yeah, compared, you know, it, it's going to hurt people across the board. It's going to hurt Trump voters in Kentucky. It's going to hurt the migrant pickers in Florida. It's sure. going to hurt black folks in the old South in Selma. Like it, it, it's it it hurts. Essentially, the the entire these wide swaths of America, where he you know he he campaigned and, and Republicans have campaigned forever on being the party of disaffection, yeah. right? Of of people who are fed up with the government, of people who just want a basic, you know, want to be able to be industrious and 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 have the government help them be industrious, right? This is that's the narrative, but these are those folks. Yeah. <laughs> these are all those folks. And now they're not going to be able to eat. I, I had this whole conversation with my parents when I was when I was down in South Carolina a couple of weeks ago, right? Because they were talking about uh, all the teacher strikes yeah. that are going on, and it's just terrible that we can't pay the teachers, and the teachers need to get paid. And I understand why they're striking. And I was like, you do understand why this is happening, right? This is happening because. Republicans fight for tax breaks for big corporations and 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 wealthy people, and so the the teachers aren't getting paid because they don't have the money for it yeah, because they're they taking shortfalls. Sure exactly, yeah. exactly, and it's like they're so close to making a connection. 
Hey, states would have a whole lot more money if we just paid for insurance for them. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just like they're so yeah. close to making connection. It's like this thing with the, I mean, a couple of different things we've talked about, whether it's the health insurance or it's the food stuff, right? They're so close to putting it together and saying, holy cow, we're in this problem because of the people that we elected to go in and do exactly what they promised they were going to do. Yeah. And I think that some people are starting to I get think it. people are getting there. I think yeah. they're starting to get there. And I, I will say, I don't think it's because the Democrats have done a great job of selling the alternative. Yeah. But I think it's just people are being so hurt across the board, yeah. especially in rural America. Rural America, I mean, just the, the places where things are crumbling, you know, yeah. at the margins. Because some of the hungriest places are in the middle of our cities. Yeah. Uh, and people, I think, are, are finally realizing that there is something deeply wrong uh, with, with, with the politics at play in this country. It makes me a, a little optimistic that people are finally, because I do think that for so long we've been such a culture of, um, you know, big cities, right? Like, if yeah. it's happening in New York, that then it's really news. Or if right. it's happening in Los Angeles, then it's really news. And, like, there are so many people. And I'm, and I'm tired of all the, like, Here's this person who voted for Trump, and here's why. He lives in, in Nebraska. Diner. Right, 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 <laughs> yeah. right. Like, it's just so plain. But, like, I, I do think that there is some value to hearing those voices and hearing what they're coming, where they're coming from and saying, okay, I understand that. Here's what you really need to do, or here's what you need to be voting for. Here's what could really help you out. And I, I, I think that's just, we're just getting there. Yeah. We're just getting there. Uh, Van Newkirk the second. Thank you so much, man. I, it's always good to talk to you. We didn't even talk that much Infinity War. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll save that for though. another time. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Five Fifths and uh, read his good work at theatlantic.com. Van Newkirk the second. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. We will be right back with a lot of tr- Elena Treen from Axios. Stay tuned. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show, 35 minutes past the hour. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Thank you so much for tuning in on this May 2nd. It's Wednesday. Like, are we already at May? I can't believe that we're already at May. It feels like just earlier this week, it was April. (laughs) Sorry. Stupid, uh, but we're just moving so fast through through everything that's happening here in the news. Remember, we are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show, and I am on Twitter at Peter Ogburn. Uh, got a, I, I got a couple new followers this morning, and then and then fun. I don't tweet that much. We're trying to get Peter to four thousand followers. But don't so don't if no, you we're not. Don't I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm not trying to be that guy because I don't tweet that much. <laughs> I think you are trying to be that guy because you mentioned how many followers you needed earlier. I'm trying to be that guy a little bit. You okay? said that I'm you needed to... 19 followers. I'm helping you out here. He needs less than 19 followers. Thank you, Ray. Now you're Thank welcome. Thank you, Ray. We're joined now by associate news editor and reporter for Axios, Elena Treen, who you can follow on Twitter also at Elena Treen. That's Elena with a Y A L A Y N A Treen T R E E N E. Make sure you go follow her on Twitter. Hi, Elena. Hi. Thanks for having me. First visit to the show. Yes, first time. I'm I very love excited it. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming. We have uh, lots of Axios people here on the show. Uh, it's nice to get you in. And you had a big story earlier this week uh, that I'm sure everybody saw, but it's so funny to me that we are here in this stage of political discourse where Marco Rubio 
again, kind of said the quiet part loud. Right. Uh, something that a lot of these folks in the Trump era have a real problem with. Uh, here is Marco Rubio, a quote. Uh, there is still a lot of thinking on the right that if big corporations are happy, they're going to take the money they're saving and reinvest it into American workers. In fact... They bought back shares. A few gave out bonuses. There's no evidence whatsoever that the money's been massively poured back into the American worker, end quote. I'm going to say that one more time. There's no evidence whatsoever that the money has been massively poured back into the American worker, end quote, which is kind of what the tax plan was sold as, right? Completely. It's going to be a huge thing. I think that uh, it's not getting... Tons of pickup, like a lot of people uh, on the Hill aren't going to comment on this or no. on what Marco Rubio said. But this is the main thing that they're playing up ahead of the midterms. It's the key legislative win that the GOP had, uh, you know, in the first year of Trump's presidency. There's not really much else. They'll point to uh, Neil Gorsuch getting him elected on to the Supreme Court. But which, otherwise, which, which not that I'm trying to pick nits here. Right. But like. Not a real win for the Trump administration, right? <laughs> like, give Mitch McConnell all the credit in the world. Mitch right. McConnell made it happen, but, like, that's all. Exactly. And so, yeah, he's pointing out that, look, you know, we really pushed the, these tax cuts. And he was a big part of, you know, making sure they got the t- child tax credit onto that. But in the sense of, you know, giving money back to the American worker, really middle class voters, he's saying it's not really being proven that there's much going back into them. Okay, I have to read this story. I read it earlier Mm -hmm. uh, this morning, uh, and this was from yesterday on Reuters.com. Apple plows US, U.S. tax cuts into record share buybacks. What does that mean? So they have bought back stock to give back to the shareholders Quote, like no other company in history, Uh, Apple bought back $23.5 billion of its own stock in the March quarter, a record amount. I'm reading directly from the Reuters piece. A record record amount for any U.S. company, according to S&P Dow Jones, added $100 billion to its target for future repurchases. So in other words, this is exactly what Marco Rubio said. You give these companies, these big corporations like Apple, these big tax breaks, they don't give it back to their workers. They don't upgrade their factories where they're making their products, where the workers' working conditions are so bad that workers are literally jumping out the window to their deaths. Mm -hmm. You don't upgrade any of that stuff. You just give it back to the people who already have a ton of money. Exactly. Well, it's the idea of also trickle-down economics, which is something that – Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said, this is what we're aiming for. It does work. Uh, and I thought that that argument was dead. Right. I thought that the trickle-down economics thing was dead. This was Ronald Reagan's whole thing. George W. Bush tried to do the same thing, and look what happened. Exactly. Well, and that's a good point, though, but President Trump and— He's kind of a 1950s man. He does, he's not looking at current modern times. He's kind of looking. He wants to make America great again. He's nostalgic <laughs> right. for the sure. days that once were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that his administration, and like I said, Steve Mnuchin has always said, you know, we think this works. Um, but as Marco Rubio is pointing out, he's saying, no, you know, we're seeing that maybe they give out bonuses here and there. And that kind of played into what uh, Nancy Pelosi was saying about crumbs. Like these bonuses are crumbs, even though she got a lot of flack for saying that even from people within her own party. But it turns out... But it may be, you know, small potatoes. Yeah. I mean, look, again, Paul Ryan got in all that in all that trouble when he tweeted out about the teacher that because of the tax cuts, she can get a Costco membership now. 
which a Costco membership is $60 a year. So, like, that's the big takeaway here. I mean, so how have Democrats, because you mentioned this is going to be a a big point of contention uh, as we head into the midterms. How have Democrats sort of latched onto this? Well, um, I actually— Or have they? Right. Well, I've met with a couple senators who, when I've asked them, Democratic senators, when I've asked them— what is your biggest concern going into the midterms? Like mm-hmm. what, I mean, everyone's talking about this blue wave and that Democrats are just gonna, they're so energized, they're gonna take over. But what's the one thing that they're scared about? And they said it's this, it's the tax bill. It's their language on it. Um, and I think that a lot of prominent Democrats, I wrote a story um, a couple weeks ago about them rebuking Nancy Pelosi for saying this crumbs thing. They think that, a lot of people think that what she's saying there regardless of whether they think it's true or not, are seizing on that as not being the right way to move forward on this language. They want to make it more about looking at the things that the tax bill is physically hurting um, and the things it's definitely not doing to kind of push that message that, you know, they're trying to sell you on this and really it's not helping you as much as you think it is. Yeah, which I think is probably smart. But at the same time, have Democrats really like – put forth any kind of plan of what their like tax stuff would look like or how they would fix this problem or are they just running against it i'm not saying that, that that's the wrong or right thing right. to do i'm just curious well no they're they're right now there's not really been there been you know pitter patter some buzz there's not one thing they're like oh as soon as we you know if we can win back the house we can win back the senate we're going to reverse these people have said they want to do that but there's not some real underlying plan that they have i think right now everyone's really just focused on getting the votes to take back the majority yeah yeah speaking of the elections uh, i want to ask you about a piece that you wrote about richard painter if anybody watches cable news you have seen richard painter um he is a longtime Republican. He was the ethics lawyer for George W. Bush. Fairly conservative guy. Has a long track record of being a conservative guy. Uh, he is now going to be running for Senate as a Democrat in Minnesota. Uh, we have some clips from him because he made the announcement, uh, uh, I guess it was on Monday. Uh, Richard Painter, first of all, comes out and says that he wants to be a voice to stand up to Donald Trump. Now, remember, longtime Republican, worked for George W. Bush. Here's Richard Painter. I'm against what President Trump is threatening to do to our country. And the only alternative this fall is going to be to vote for Democrats. And he goes on to basically say it's it's literally this important. We have to save the country. I am going to fight alongside Minnesotans and Americans to do what is right to save our democracy from Donald Trump and his collaborators inside the United States and abroad. Okay, when he talks about his collaborators, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't necessarily want to say that Richard Painter has been one of his collaborators, but like Republicans have helped make this happen. Right. Like Donald Trump exists because of Republicans. So Richard Painter as a longtime Republican, I, I'm not I mean, has he had just a total change of heart? Like, is he going to all of a sudden come out and start, you know, advocating for single payer health care or anything like that? Right. It's it's really funny, too, because you see he's on MSNBC all the time. And you, you mentioned all this before. The time. He's kind of become under the Trump administration an anti-Trump crusader in many ways. Yeah. So I think that he's really driven and we're kind of seeing this 
a lot of people within the party that aren't speaking up, I, I mean, in the Republican Party, that don't speak up, you know, as freely as someone as Jeff Flake. But um, people are really not... A lot of people, when Trump was elected, they really didn't want him to be yeah. elected. I mean, even Paul Ryan wouldn't come out in support of him. And now, right. obviously, he's kind of flipped because he thinks, if I got to get anything done, I got to work with the president. Exactly. But at the same time, you're totally right in saying that, yes, like the president is, you know, they really played into this base. And now everyone who's working with him, McConnell himself, despite all the tweets that Trump will send uh, kind of attacking McConnell in the past, he'll stand by and support him as well in a way to get their support. But someone like Richard Painter, I think, is just so, especially having work in, worked in past administrations, he's just so, thinks that there's so much that's wrong right now that's yeah. going on the Trump administration. He thinks the whole system is broken down. And he said that. And this is him kind of running against that. I think it's more of an against Trump run than a Democrat run. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And and we've talked about that a lot, right, with the midterms coming up. Like, what makes the most sense? Uh, can you run purely as Donald Trump is bad and that's it? Well, a lot of people are trying to do that. I know. <laughs> a lot of people are uh, seizing on this, and that's what they're hoping. I mean, I think that's really the basis of what the Democrats are trying are counting on. Um, then again, we look back at 2016 election. People thought that Donald Trump was the best thing to happen to Hillary Clinton, and here we are. Yeah, so right. uh, it's, but that's kind of what the Democrats. I feel like the one message that everyone's trying to run on in that party is, hey, look at look at our president. You know, we can't continue to let them control all three chambers. I, I don't want to like get into too much of the like strategy for Democrats, right. right? But I think that there's a there's something to learn from the recent elections in uh, Virginia where Danica Rome won. Uh, she's the first transgendered member of, of uh, the state legislature there. And she, it wasn't part of her, like she wasn't, she, I mean, she was obviously against Donald Trump, but she was like, look, we got traffic problems we got to fix. That's what we really care about. Like that's what that's that's what I'm here to do. I'm not here to talk to you about why we need to have transgender bathrooms or any like she was like we need to fix the road problems. And her opponent just constantly attacked her uh her sexuality and it's kind of like I think that the ideas are going to win. Not necessarily running against somebody that you've built up here. Like the ideas are going to win out. So like look, I mean, Richard Painter has I mean he's a real like he's a real uh, has a real resume, right? Like right. he was an ethics attorney. Um, and in the age of Donald Trump, I think that gives you some credibility on things that are happening here in the government. But so this is for Al Franken's old seat, right? Yes. So he's uh, running to yeah place basically. So there's someone in the interim in there that yeah, was yeah, hired yeah. Um, or was appointed. Sure, sure, sure. By, um, after he resigned after his Franken seat. But, uh, yeah, so he's running for that seat in Minnesota. Um, it's in, I mean, it'll be interesting. It's a place where, you know, he really could, Richard Painter could get some sway. I think Minnesota is a place that people respect. His resume will respect that he was an ethics lawyer, even if he was in the Bush administration. And I think a lot of people who have been sitting at home and watching him on TV probably feel enough now that despite that he was a longtime Republican, what he's been saying on television and kind of spewing some liberal ideas, yeah. they'll, they'll believe that he'll he'll be a, someone to help their cause. It's going to be interesting. We, we, we have the United States senator from Minnesota now, uh, Tina Smith, who was appointed 
And so now she's going to have to run against Richard Painter. It's going to be really interesting. Because I don't think a lot of people know Tina Smith. I don't know how well-known she is. I mean, in, in Minnesota, she she's served for quite a while uh, in, in various different roles. But, like, Richard Painter could really bring in some money. He could really bring in some attention and really get some headlines. And that could be very, very interesting. Definitely. Very, very and Senate, too, is, you know, it's not like – the House, where right. you're really playing up to your constituents, and a lot of it is on a small group of people that you know really well within your state yeah. and championing your state causes. A Senate is a different ballgame. Yeah. Um, and you're, so you're, you're almost like a national politician. Oh, at completely. This point. It's totally a national game. And yeah. that's something that Richard Painter definitely has down. He's been in the media, he's been in Washington. Um, you know, he's different in the sense that he's switching parties, which is really surprising, and that sure. makes him interesting. So he's very high sure. profile. Tina Smith, not so much. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. I mean, I wouldn't recognize Tina Smith, right? But right. Like well, Richard... maybe maybe after the Al Franken stuff. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he drew sure. up some, but not because of Tina Smith, because of Al Franken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you also talked about uh, and have a piece about James Comey, because he sat down with your colleague, Mike Allen, to talk about his new book, uh, A Higher Loyalty. Um, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on James Comey, and I have mixed feelings on the book as well, mm-hmm. because like he's so careful that I don't like I I don't know that there are any real bombshells. He's not a flamethrower, which I appreciate, right? Like I'd rather not have the FBI director be like you know a pundit who's going to go out and say crazy things. But like, what have we learned from James Comey in the sort of aftermath of his book? Well, I'd actually argue that he's being very open. I think that personally, and I've chatted with colleagues and with other sources on the Hill and people who've worked with Comey, uh, they think, of course, he's restrained. Um, He's not, you know, someone who's going to go and tell a tell-all necessarily, but this is a little bit of that. People were surprised that he was as open as he was and that, you know, you expect someone like the FBI director, kind of the way that where everyone puts Robert Mueller on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. Um, you'd expect that he wouldn't be saying some of these things. But so what we're learning, I'd say, is uh, you're learning a lot about what was on the inside of what was going on in those first few days right after the election and the first few days of the Trump administration. Um, And he really dived into detail about that now infamous dinner, the loyalty dinner. Um, He has a lot to say about the Mueller investigation. He has a lot to say about what he thinks that the President Trump and Attorney General Jeff Sessions have done to the Justice Department and the FBI. Um, I think he's really angry. I mean, granted, the book, I've read several experts of it. Um, I haven't been able to read the whole thing yet, but it's not really a book about Trump, which I think a lot of people who haven't read it and just watching the media, it seems like it's a book about President Trump. Um, It's not. It's more about his journey, you know, through the FBI, what he's learned. He looks at himself as a very moral character. Yeah. um, Howls himself to a very high ethical standard. But, yeah, I mean, the juiciest parts are about the Trump administration. Right. Trump is always going to dominate. They're going to dominate the headlines. And that's what he's talking about in his his little tour of the media. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I give him credit. Like, he gets it. Right. Like, I think that James Comey's story is pretty fat. I haven't read the book, but like I've read enough of like what's in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, to, like, I think at the end of the day, I, I think he really does take or did take that job seriously and um, a, 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 and takes the whole morality, 
justice thing very seriously. And in the book, he writes about like when he was a kid and the home intruder that came into his house. Right. I think that re- very clearly formed his uh, career path. Yeah, right. totally. Um, but yeah, like the Trump stuff is what sells the book. Exactly. What's next for James Comey? Where does he go from here? That's such a good question. Uh, I only ask good questions. Right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Everyone should follow you on Twitter. That's not um, true. Oh, look at that. <laughs> no, uh, he has a couple paths. I think that right now he's going to really lay low. Yeah. Um, I think that after especially, you know, he's very, you know, his family hasn't been dragged into it that much. But I think that he wants to take some time for his family to kind of sure. lay low and not be. I mean, granted, you know, he's not really laying low right now. He's right. all over the media. But after this tour yeah. and after this book settles down, which, you know, I think he got a high penny for it. I'm uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, last when the first you know, sales numbers came in. He blew Hillary Clinton's book and Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury, out of the water. Yeah. Um, and those were both massive, massive yeah. media, grabbed all the headlines. So, I mean, he's, you know, a lot of people joked it should be called a higher royalty and not a higher loyalty. Because <laughs> uh, it's a pretty penny. A pretty penny. But um, he has a couple. I don't know if he'll get, I don't know if he'll get back into um you know, definitely into the public eye. Yeah. He'll probably go into the private sector is my best guess. Um, I want to ask you about another story that you wrote uh, that, that came out yesterday, your most recent story about how we're talking about uh, censorship mm-hmm. and big tech. There's a story this morning about how Facebook is going to start ranking news organizations by trust. And I don't know how practical that's going to be, and you're certainly going to piss a lot of people off. And I think that um, you've already written about this a little bit. Like, conservatives are already pretty alarmed totally, that this is going in this direction. But I, I don't know that Facebook is ever going to win this battle. It's they're in a difficult situation. I think that this to say move, the least, yeah. to say the least. I yeah. mean, yeah, Zuckerberg on the hill. He did a great job, I think, actually. Agreed. But uh, it, he's in a tough situation. Yeah. The whole Facebook is not. You know, they had delete the hashtag delete Facebook. People actually, I think, deleted it. It's yeah. not. It's also not what it used to be. Instagram is really now their yep. their biggest thing. But yeah, I think that this is their way of trying to deal with the fake news stuff. They're trying to say, hey. We'll rank this so you know what's more trustworthy. But then that gets into who are you to decide who is more trustworthy? And that's exactly what a lot of conservative people are worried about. And I mean, this is something that conservatives have kind of railed on for ages. Yesterday, I wrote this story about them sending uh, about 60 prominent conservative leaders sending a joint letter to all of these different Facebook, Google, Twitter, saying, hey, you're censoring us. We have proof you're you know, take removing our content more than others. Um, not totally. Their evidence wasn't totally there. Oh, that's what but, I asked about. Like, right. what, like, how do they prove that? Exactly. Some there was one report, but it was done by a politically conservative media research group um, that tried to look at some of that. But it's been really there's on the sense of that there's been systematic and coordinated. Yeah movements between all these social media networks to kind of be biased against conservatives is just not proven. And that's something we've seen with the Diamond and Silk hearings um, with YouTube. And but um, they're not I mean, this is a huge thing that's going to continue to play out conservatives against what they see as liberal Silicon Valley. I, I don't think that there is a practical solution here. I really don't. And I think that's just the nature of what Facebook is. And I think we are 
just now coming to terms with the fact that, like, I don't know that Facebook can be fixed. I think that Facebook is just bad. And, like, it's and, – and there's no winning, right? Like, the fake news stuff was obviously really, really bad, and it may or may not have influenced an entire United States election for president, <laughs> right? Which is a big deal. And their solution to fixing it, you're going to piss off a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't think that they really want to do, like, piss off even more people because they've pissed off a lot. Yes. And I think, too – you know, they claim we actually Axios uh, and my colleague Mike Allen had sat down with Sheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer of Facebook, mm. a couple months ago. And she was saying, you know, we're not a media organization. We're a social, you know, we want to connect people. But that's exactly what they've become. And that's how they're making their money. You know, news on face. A lot of people, you read the polls, tons and tons of people of Americans get their news from Facebook. Yeah. So it's not something that's going away. And I think a lot of the things that they're trying to do are quick fixes or Band-Aids because there needs to be an immediate, you know, they have to have some sort of immediate reaction to all of the bad backlash that they're getting. But until they have, like, a really deep turnover. Yeah. Yeah, that's the the problem. It's short-term fixes before they realize that, like, they really can't fix the bigger problem, I don't think. All right, Elena Treen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I hope it won't be the last. Uh, Elena Treen, follow her on Twitter, at Elena Treen. Uh, Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Make sure you go check out the podcast on iTunes. Just look for The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show.